Come with us as we go into the wild. We're not talking about hiking trails or survival skills. We're diving deep into our faith journeys as we navigate the many terrains of life. As we navigate the wild, we'll discover how it can lead to divine encounters. And uh, I'm really, really excited that you are here. We're really going to be talking about listening to God in life's adventure. Listening to God in life's adventure. And how many of you would say that life can sometimes be an adventure, right? Sometimes it's a fun adventure. Sometimes it's not so fun of an adventure. So before I dive into my message, I just want to take a moment and encourage each and every one of us, whether we're in person or online, to get into a group. And we do this uh, periodically throughout the year. We have a group emphasis, life groups, because we appreciate and we value the large gatherings like we're in right now, but also you do life with people in the small circles. In other words, in a small circle, in a life group is where you learn you know, friends, you find friends, you get help, accountability, strength, all of those things. And we have these life group semesters. And so if you'd like to dive in one and, and you don't necessarily enjoy it, you could try another one. I mean, again, there are no rules just right, just like Outback's slogan. Uh, but anyway, all that to say, this month I have filmed um, some life group content. And what the life groups are doing is they're watching about a 10, 15 minute video video that we filmed, and then they're discussing it, and these are going to be very life-changing moments. I believe that, and you also get to find friendship in the middle of that. So let me give you a little of a sneak peek of what I'm talking about here. Watch this. In order to make it through the wilds of life, God has to accompany you on this journey. The Holy Spirit has to be with you. Without God, the journey will surely result in chaos, defeat, and failure. In fact, it doesn't matter how old or young you are, the people that surround you will either make you or break you in this journey. When you go into the wild, what you take with you is important, but who you take with you matters even more. That's all you get. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's your sneak peek. So if you want to find out more about it, you got to get in a group, all right? In fact, the content that is in these videos are not going to be shown on weekends or throughout the week in the large services. So again, get in a group. It'll be very beneficial. I realize you might say, I don't have time. No one has time to do the right stuff. No one has time to exercise, to eat right, or to get in a group. But guess what? You're better if you do it, right? And you're better together. So we are uh, discussing Into the Wild this month. And you're like, well, what are we talking about? Into the wild nature? Well, there are so many metaphors in the word of God about nature. In fact, God is described like a rock, like a rock that is firm. Uh, Jesus said that he is living water. 
God's people will be planted like a tree next to a freshwater stream, it talks about in the book of Psalms. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will be resilient like the cedars of Lebanon. God is likened to a lily in a valley. There are so, so many metaphors that God uses to describe himself and the way that we're supposed to live through nature. And this is what I also know. I know most of us, we don't get into nature enough. We are in a cubicle somewhere with a fluorescent light, and the only time that we experience nature is leaving the office, going to the car, to go through the drive-thru, to get home, right? So here's the thing. We want to talk about nature because when you discover these metaphors, we discover what God is like. And so we're going to talk about different terrains over these next five weeks in this month of October. And uh, I believe God uses these metaphors because everyone can understand him better because people know what trees are and water and things like that. So today, this is what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about water and wind. Water and wind. You're like, yeah. Well, in Rockford, the location I'm preaching from right now, um, we don't have very large bodies of water around us. Probably the largest one is Lake Michigan. But if you are in Cape, like our Cape location in Florida, Southwest Florida, you have the Gulf of Mexico, a very large body of water. And if you were to ask our Cape friends down in Southwest Florida, if they are out in the Gulf in a boat and they are far away from shore and a storm starts rolling in and the wind starts picking up, they need to get back to the harbor ASAP. Why? Because it can get scary really quick. Water and wind. When those two things are combined, it can be adventurous, right? When you have a little bit of water, a little bit of wind, it's kind of fun. Or too much water, too much wind, it can be disastrous depending on the intensity of the weather system. The same is in life. You know what? If you have a little bit of water, a little bit of wind, it's fun. But if the storms of life really starts raging, if they really start blowing, guess what? It can be disastrous. In fact, it was a year ago this week that Hurricane Ian hit the west coast of Florida and literally the eye of the hurricane went directly over the city first church location on Del Prado Boulevard down in Cape Coral. Billions of dollars worth of damage was done. So you ask our Cape family about wind and rain, they would tell you, yeah, a little wind, little rain, great. Too much wind, too much rain can be disastrous. So we're going to talk about that today. And there's a very famous story. I preach on it periodically because there's so many powerful truths in it. But it has to do with wind and rain. It has to do with Jesus' disciples, a boat in the Sea of Galilee. It's found in the book of Matthew, chapter 14. And I'm going to read it for you here. True story. Then he, Jesus, directed the disciples to get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he was sent away the crowds. And after he had dismissed the multitudes, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. When it was evening, he was still there alone. Goes on to say, but the boat, with the disciples in it, was by that time out to sea, many furlongs, a furlong is one-eighth of a mile, distant from the land, beaten and tossed by the waves, for the wind was against them. In the fourth watch, between 3 and 6 a.m. at night. So think about it. This is like early, early in the morning. It says, then Jesus came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him, they screamed like little children. No. 
Well, they did. <laughs> but it says when they saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they screamed out with fright. But instantly they spoke to them saying, he spoke to them saying, take courage, I am, stop being afraid. And Peter, one of the disciples, answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and he came toward Jesus. But when he perceived and felt the strong wind, he was frightened. And as he began to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me from death. Instantly, Jesus reached out his hand and caught and held him. Remember that, caught and held him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. This is kind of a famous story. Um, you might have heard it before, even if maybe this is your first time to church. But it's a true story. And you think about it, there's an observation here about storms. And that is the storms of life tend to reveal our trust and faith in God. They really do. Storms come and go. Storms of life, you know, you might be going through one right now. You might have just gotten through a storm. You might be heading into a storm and you don't even realize it yet. But storms in life, when the wind blows and the water starts crashing into your boat, guess what? It tests our trust in God, right? Storms can be um, a health crisis, maybe a diagnosis. Maybe a storm could be a layoff or, or the plant shuts down. Those of us in this region know, some of us know what that's like, right? Um, it could be a disappointment. It could be an unexpected challenge. It could be a financial hardship. Whatever it is, it is a test of our faith. Benjamin Franklin, one of the forefathers of our nation, one time said this. He said, in this world, nothing is certain but death and taxes, and if you live in Illinois, you know about taxes, right? Okay. But I think he was only partially right. I think he was partially right. I think he, he could have expanded it and been more accurate. He could have said, in this world, nothing is certain but death, taxes, and storms. Because all of us will go through them. Bet your bottom dollar, you'll have a storm. Big ones, small ones. But you'll have storms that come up in your life. These are times where the water is churning. Your boat of life is really rocking. There was a great man of faith by the name of Oswald Chambers. He was a chaplain for the British Army about over 100 years ago, and he wrote this. He goes, there are stages in life when there is no storm, no crisis, when we do our human best. It is when a crisis arises that we instantly reveal upon whom we rely if we have been learning to worship God and to trust him, the crisis will reveal that we will go to the breaking point and not break in our confidence in him, meaning God. Storms reveal a lot, right? There's an interesting fact um, about this storm story that we're talking about today with Jesus that I did not share with you, I, I read for you the, the story, but actually to really understand the full complexity and the full measure of what's going on here, we almost have to go back one verse. Because if you go back one verse, there's this other famous story of Jesus that literally is piggybacked right onto the storm story. 
All right, it's found in Matthew 14, verse 21. It says, and those who ate were about 5,000 men, not including women and children, which means this, right before the boys got into the boat, They just got done seeing a miracle of Jesus where he took a little boy's lunch that had some loaves and fishes, multiplied it, and 5,000 men, it says, were fed. Actually, theologians believe that there was 10 to 15,000 people there by the time you add in all the women and children. There were over 10,000 at least people that got fed the feeding of the 5,000. This takes place right before the disciples get in the boat and the storm comes. In fact, you know, it's just interesting. Just that day, they were a part of a miracle. It says in verse 22, it says, Then Jesus, after the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, then Jesus directed the disciples to get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. Who are the crowds? The thousands of people that he just fed. All right? So the disciples were a part of a miracle. If you go back into the feeding of the 5,000, um, as it's called now today, some interesting things that, that, that Jesus blessed this little boy's lunch, and then there were these baskets that were, in a sense, the food was multiplied, and every disciple took a basket and began to distribute it to thousands of people. Think about how long would it take to feed 10,000 plus people? It's going to take a long time, but they had these baskets, and they keep handing out fish and bread, fish and bread, and the miracle, actually, the Bible says, took place as the disciples were distributing the food. It wasn't that Jesus multiplied it right away. It was as the disciples are walking through the crowd, and they're giving out food, that the basket never runs empty. So literally, the disciples were a part of the miracle. They were carriers of the miracle. Isn't that amazing? Now, hours later, they're out in the middle of a sea. They're in a boat and a storm comes. And the disciples who were just a part of a great miracle are now frightened out of their minds. In fact, it's interesting, fear overtook them as they just came out of a miracle and they went into a storm. Isn't that the way it is in our lives? I mean, think about it. God does a great work in your life. You come to church, you get all revved up, filled up, and then you go back home. Or you go back to work, right? And it's like reality hits. Like you're all revved up. Oh man, I love God. God's gonna do so much and all this. And then you go to work and by Wednesday, you're like, ugh. See, right after the miracle, the enemy sends a storm. And that's a principle that you and I need to understand. Sometimes God does a great work in our lives and immediately afterwards, all hell breaks loose. And guess what? It's because the enemy ain't happy. He isn't happy that God worked something in your life. He isn't happy that you made spiritual mileage with Jesus. He isn't happy about, so what is he doing? He sends a storm. Here's an observation. Storms tend to come during the nights of our lives. The nights. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, little story. Many moons ago, many, many moons ago, I was leading a young adult um, missions trip over to India. And I took a group of young adults over there. We went to a province called Orissa. And while we were in Orissa, the missionary that we were working with in the field, um, he put us up at a youth hostel that was right on the Indian Ocean. 
And we all got this idea, the guys that were a part of the group, we all got this idea that we were gonna go swimming in the Indian Ocean at like midnight, all right? It was pitch black. I mean, there was not like much electricity or anything there. We literally were like in the darkness swimming and a storm was rolling in. We could see it along the horizon. Lightning was like flashing and like we could see clouds and things like that. And the waves started to churn. And pretty soon, no joke, this is not an exaggeration. There were like six to eight foot waves coming in. We're just getting pounded. We're having all kinds of fun. But I'll be honest with you, I was a little scared. It was dark. The ocean was starting to get like pretty, pretty treacherous, you know? And all of a sudden, right in the middle of the moment, I'm up to like my chest in water and I felt something big. I don't know what it was, but it was big and it swam right between my legs and bumped my legs as it went through. And I screamed like a little girl. I'm not kidding. I was like, ah, and I started to run, and I'm running towards the shore. Have you ever been in a, a, a scenario where one person gets freaked out and the other people don't even know why that person's getting freaked out, but they get freaked out too? And pretty soon, all of us guys, like kindergartners, are screaming and running out onto the shore. And we got out, and they're like, Jer, Jer, what was it? And I go, I don't know, but whatever it was, it was big, and it bumped into my legs, and that was the end of the night. We're like, we're going, we're going in to going to bed. <laughs> it was scary because the storm was churning everything, and then I couldn't see what that was. You know what I mean? I didn't know what it was. And that's what happens during life storms, too, at night. At night, what does night represent? You don't see very well. It's times in life that you're not really seeing. You can't see what's happening. You can't see what's happening now, what, what's gonna happen further down the road. It's really times of uncertainty. And I would say this about uncertainty. Uncertainty is a strong feeling. It's usually marked by loss of control. It's usually marked by unpredictability and the perception that things are gonna get worse, right? At night, you ever wake up in the middle of the night and you start thinking and all of a sudden it's like, you're thinking like crazy thoughts, right? Like things at night, your, your mind games intensify. Uncertainty creates anxiety because we crave the ability to control our circumstances. And we feel like we're losing control. I mean, sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and it's like two in the morning. And I don't know if you're like me, but when I wake up, I start thinking about things. I start thinking about stuff I have to do. I start thinking about problems at work. I start thinking about maybe challenges in the family. I start thinking about all the things. And this is what I know. At night, the problems grow, right? I mean, they, they become huge. They're like, they're like monsters, you know? I mean, it, it, it's, like, it's like the problem may be this big, but it's the size of a boulder by the time I'm waking up and thinking about it and it's resting right on my chest, it feels like. Well, there's this verse in Psalms that I love. It says this, weeping may last through the night, but guess what? Guess what God says? Joy comes in the morning. When you are in the nights of your life, and yeah, give that a round of applause. Some of you wanna, wanna celebrate Jesus on that and I, I agree with that. At night, things intensify, they seem bigger. So the disciples, they're in the middle of the night, somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. in the morning, and the storm is raging. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up, and they think he's a ghost. And guess what? You would too. I would too, right? This, this, this figure is walking towards them on the water, and they scream in terror. 
And Jesus says, don't be afraid as I walk towards you on the water. <laughs> I always thought that was like, come on, Jesus, really? I mean, like, like I think we're going to freak out a little bit, okay? I think, I think the disciples are going to be a little scared of this. But here's an observation. Look for Jesus in the middle of your storms. I don't know if you're in a storm right now. And right now it's lightning and the, the waters are churning and water's spilling into the boat of your life and you're not sure whether you're going to make it or not. And, and it's easy to focus in on the environment rather than the God who controls the environment. It's easy to focus in on the storm rather than the God who's bigger than the storm, right? And I'm not insinuating in any way that Jesus created the storm. He doesn't create storms like, like the ones that many of us are going through. It's that we live in a hopelessly broken world. There's sin, there's, there's a brokenness here, but we must look for him in the middle of the storm. We have to. Now, over 30 years I've been following Jesus, and my next point I'm gonna give you here is not one that, that sometimes we like, but I think it's the reality, and that is this. Jesus rarely removes people immediately from uncertain situations. Instead, he meets them in their storm. So, so we would rather have Jesus just remove the storm. That's what I want. If I'm going through a storm, I just want Jesus to remove it. I, I wanna like pray a prayer like I'm going through a drive-through. I wanna like speak into the speaker and go, uh, yeah, I'll take um, one sunny day and a cup of awesome, thank you, you know? And then by the time I get to, you know, the, the window, then my, my storm is gone and my life is awesome. But that's not usually how it works. Instead, Jesus meets us in the middle of the raging storm. The storm doesn't always go away right away. But rather, in the middle of our uncertainty, he meets us. Jesus is in the middle of your storm right now. I don't know what you're going through, whatever it is, health-wise, financial, career, family. I don't know what it is, but Jesus is in the middle of the storm. We must look for him. And we have to learn to interpret the storms of life in the light of our knowledge of God, right? Because we're gonna go through it. And when we're in the night, and the storm is raging. We're gonna think all kinds of loopy thoughts and we're gonna picture that maybe the character of God isn't what we thought and we're gonna start questioning things and we're gonna do all of that kind of stuff. Oswald Chambers, I mentioned him earlier, he, he also said this, unless we can look at the most violent, raging storm full in the face without it damaging our view of God's character, we do not yet fully know him. Now, that is, a, that, that, that is a powerful statement that's easily said, and it's hard to live out. Because the reality is this. You and I, when we go through the storm, we begin to question God's character. I mean, especially if the storm is pretty intense. We begin to wonder, is God really good? We begin to wonder, is he really with me? Is he really faithful? Can he really heal? Can he really provide? We, we begin to question all these things. And yet, Oswald would say, when we are in the midst of a storm, even the most violent raging storm, and if it makes us question the character of God, we still have some homework to do, is what he's saying. See, when we try to find anything 
or anyone to trust other than Jesus in the middle of our storm, it will only create more instability. You go through a storm and you're like, I'm going to trust money. Well, that's gonna create instability. Oh, I'm gonna trust myself. Some storms are much bigger than you. Oh, I'm gonna trust somebody else. Well, it's good to trust somebody else, but not to trust them more than you trust Jesus, right? Because he's the only one that can speak to the storm. The rest will navigate with you in the storm, but he's the only one that can speak to the storm. Does that make sense? So he has to be the one that we have high trust in. And it's hard. And even as a pastor, it's hard for me. I know some of you come to church and you're like, well, pastor, first of all, you don't have any storms. Oh, yeah, I do. (laughs) And then you're like, oh, but you always navigate them perfectly. No, I don't. I'm just like you. Sometimes storms make me question God, just like you. But that tells me I still have some homework to do in my trust. My trust isn't complete yet, right? And so Peter does something quite amazing. One of the disciples, the apostle Peter, he, he, he basically is seeing this ghost-like figure come at him and towards the boat. And he goes, if it's really you, Jesus, call me to come out onto the water to you. And Jesus says, come. Now, now, I think Peter sometimes gets a bad rap here because you know what? Eventually he takes his eyes off of Jesus. He begins to sink or whatever. No, no, no. Listen, Peter actually says, if it's really you, I'm gonna vet. If it's really you, Call me to come out onto the water. Who does that? Who thinks of that? I'd rather be like, Jesus, if it's you, what's our favorite inside joke? You know, that kind of thing. (laughs) Not, Not get out of the boat in the midst of a storm. So I actually, I actually give a lot of cred here to Peter that he would even have the faith to ask that and believe that. And what does he do? He gets out of the the boat and the Bible says, it's a very short part of that sentence, sentence, but it says that Peter actually walked on the water. He actually was walking, doing something that's supernatural. He's looking at Jesus and he's walking out on the, what did it look like? I mean, I'm sure that he was like trying to do it. He's being careful and he's looking at Jesus, but then, and Peter does something. The storm begins to get his attention. He begins to look at the wind or feel the wind. He begins to look at the lightning, the waves that are crashing. He starts taking his eyes off Jesus. And the Bible says that he begins to sink. This is where Peter gets a bad rap in the story. But I'm gonna go on the record as saying this. You and I do this all the time also. <laughs> Like when you enter the storm, you have all this faith. God is gonna answer prayers. He's gonna heal me. He's gonna provide the finances. He's gonna mend our relationship. We have all kinds of faith, right? And then as the storm rages, what do we do? We begin to take our eyes off of Jesus and we start seeing the storm doesn't seem to be going away and we begin to sink in the water, right? And so I don't look at Peter and think, oh, what a moron. No, I think I do that too. And so do you. He was the only disciple that was willing to get out of the boat. So this is what I say to each and every one of us who maybe had strong faith at the beginning of the storm, but now our our faith is beginning to fade. Listen, a little faith is better than no faith at all. Do you hear that? A little faith is better than no faith at all. And Jesus sees that. And even though 
He looks at Peter sinking. I think there's a part of him that goes, I commend you for being willing to trust me and get out of the boat in the midst of the storm. You know what God does? God gives you supernatural strength in the middle of the storm if you keep your eyes on him. You ever look at somebody and you're like, gosh, I don't even know how they're doing it. How are they navigating this season? How are they managing? Well, at the end of the day, it's probably not them. It's God in them, giving them the strength to do it. Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus, says in verse 30, says, but when he, Peter, perceived and felt the strong wind, he was frightened. As he began to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me from death. And what did Jesus do? Jesus didn't just look at him, standing there as Peter is sinking and is like, oh, man, I wish you were better, Peter. It's not what he did. He walked over on the water to Peter. He grabbed his arm. The Bible says that he lifted him up. And what did I read earlier? And held him. Now, I want you to think about this. How far away from the boat was Peter? Did he get five steps, 10 steps, 20 yards? How far was it? We don't know. But all I know is he's far away from the boat and Jesus comes and lifts him up. Now I want you to picture this. He lifts him up and held him. Because it wasn't just lifting him up because he'd go right back down again. Lifted him up and held him. And what did Jesus do? Jesus carried Peter as Jesus walked on the water back to the boat. We never think about this, but can you imagine for me in your mind's eye, what did it look like as, as Peter is sinking, Jesus lifts him up and carries him, holds him by the side and brings him back to safety. And isn't that what Jesus does with you and me? That as we're sinking, he picks us up and he carries us. That's the supernatural strength. It's, it's like people around you are like, wow, Peter is like, he's like, he's like on top of the water getting back to the boat. No, no, no. It's Jesus that's carrying Peter, right? Because fear, fear will sink you. Fear will sink you. And some of us today, we're, we're fearing. We're fearing something. We're in a storm. And we're fearing. And we're sinking. And my, my encouragement to you today is this. A little faith is better than no faith at all. And the very fact that you have a little faith means that Jesus is gonna pick you up and he's gonna bring you alongside of him and he's gonna carry you. He's gonna, you can put your weight on him and he's gonna walk you back to the boat. Notice this, the storm hasn't been calm yet. The storm is still raging. The sea is not calm. So he is gonna carry you in the middle of your storm. He is going to help lift you up in the middle of your storm. Some seem to hear this today. You didn't just come to church to hear a sermon. You are being encouraged today that Jesus is gonna carry you and the storm isn't gone yet. He's gonna give you peace that passes all understanding. Why is it pass all understanding? Because the storm is still raging, but you have peace in the arms of Jesus. Listen to this and let it minister to you. Peace be still, say the word and I will set my feet upon the sea until I'm dancing in the deep. Peace be still, you are 
Let's bow our heads, let's close our eyes. No one leaving, please. This is a sacred moment because there are people right now that are going through a very real storm. They feel like they're drowning. There's too much water coming into the boat. The waters are churning. The wind is blowing. And today, you're asking for Jesus' help because you're sinking. And if that's you, I believe in a God that listens in these moments. He's not a thousand miles away, he's right here. And he wants to give you strength. He wants to carry you and give you a peace that passes all understanding, even though the storm is still raging. So if that's you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, and you're like, I'm going through a storm, Pastor Jeremy, please pray for me. I'm not gonna have you come forward. I'm not gonna have you tell us what it is, but God knows if that is you and you say, I'm going through a storm, just raise your hand, whatever, wherever you're at. Even if you're at home by yourself right now in the living room, yeah, put your hands up. Hands are up everywhere. Heavenly Father, I pray right now for my friends. Lord, they're in the middle of a storm. You know what that storm is. And Lord, I pray that in the midst of this storm, may they first realize you're there. You have not abandoned them. You, you are not absent. You're not out to lunch. You are there in the midst of the storm. And God, I pray that, Lord, they would see you as you see them. Lord, I pray they would call out to you. They would search and see that you're there. And God, I pray that they would realize that the little bit of faith they have right now that is better than no faith. In fact, the Bible says that even a little faith, like a mustard seed-sized faith, can move mountains and calm storms. So Lord, I pray that they would exercise that faith and that God, as they call to you, you would lift them up out of the waters that are deep, that are real. Lift them up, God. Bring them close to your side and walk them back to where they need to be. Lord, I pray you would walk them to the place of safety in you as the storm still rages. Yes, we pray, we pray also you would calm the storm that you would speak to the storm. That's the rest of the story that you would calm the waves. And Lord, we definitely want that. But in the middle of the storm, bring them close to you. Give them supernatural strength. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. With every head bowed and every eye closed real briefly, if you say, I am hearing you talk about storms of life and I'm going through them and been through them, but I've never called out to Jesus. I never have you even thought about that? Maybe you didn't realize it. Maybe you didn't feel you're worthy or something. Listen, Jesus wants to meet you in the middle of your storm. He wants to be your very best friend. He wants to be your leader, the one that forgives you. And if you say, I need to give my life to Jesus, you're not joining City First Church today. This has nothing to do with denominations. It has everything to do with just saying, Jesus, forgive me of my sin, and I want to follow you. I want you to be the leader, the strength in my life. I want heaven as my home someday. If that's you, just raise your hand if you want to make Jesus the leader and the forgiver of your life. Yeah, hands are up everywhere, and I guarantee you online also. So let's all say this prayer together, whether you raised your hand or you didn't. And if you did raise your hand, realize that God is listening to your voice. He loves you. He created you. He loves you just the way you are, but he loves you enough to not keep you the way that you are. He wants to help you. So let's all say this prayer together. Ready, all of us? 
Jesus, today I come to you and I invite you into my heart. I declare you to be my leader, my Lord, my Savior, and the one that forgives me. I believe you died on a cross for me. I want to live for you. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Come on, can we give God a huge round of applause?